lost my drive I've been stuck in traffic and I can't find my way out I guess it's roadblocks, yeah there's roadblocks I guess it's roadblocks every single I go I guess it's roadblocks, yeah there's roadblocks I guess it's roadblocks every single I go So to the Destroying Depression Podcast As always, I am your host Jacob Danielson, and today I am here with a good friend of mine, a very special guest, Quentin Robertson. Uh, me and Quentin met at Target about was it like six months ago. God, it was back it was in December, December right? Seven, yeah, seven December. months ago. Seven months ago, um, I had the privilege of meeting him. So I'll allow him to introduce himself and tell him a little bit about him before we get going. So here we go. All right. Well, as the rest of y'all heard, I'm Quentin Robertson. Um, Obviously, I met Jake at Target. I still work at Target. Um, I'm in the Army. Uh, I do behavioral health in the Army. It's pretty fun. I enjoy it. Um, It allows you to connect with a lot of people, uh, sometimes on a much deeper level than you'd actually expect. Uh, I don't know. I'm into a lot of different shit. I play video games. I... uh, like to build models. I'm really nerdy, but um, I don't know. I mean, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, for sure. So, Quentin, as you talked about, you're in the army, right? Yep. Yeah. So, Quentin was stationed in Djibouti, right? Yep, Djibouti, Camp Lemonnier. For how long was it? Uh, 11, 10, 11 ish months. Yeah, so almost a year you were over there. I want you to tell us a little bit about. What it was like being over there and how being, you know, so far away from home in like that kind of setting, like what kind of toll that took on your mental health personally and, and, and kind of how you how you, kind of how you dealt with that. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I should start off with it was hot all the time. Yeah, I bet. Like miserably hot. Yeah, I bet. I think even in their winter months, the coldest it ever got was like 70 degrees, still with like a 50 to 60 percent humidity. Even in the summer months, right about the time we were leaving, it was pushing up to about a little over 100 with about 90% humidity. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of the conditions that we were in. Combine that with water was limited and then people being crazy because you're on a base. And by crazy, I mean running out naked, drunk. Um, Some of them were high. It was an interesting experience. Uh, You met all kinds of different people there, though, because there was... Uh, people from all kinds of branches. There was Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, a couple of Coast Guard. There was actually some Space Force people there, which I thought was a little interesting. That's cool. Um, but to describe like how it was on me mentally, um, I guess I'd have to start at the beginning when I first was told that I was going to Djibouti. Um, We were told that we were leaving about a year beforehand, and when I first heard that, you know, it didn't quite register with me, because I was like, oh, um, I'm getting out of the army. I don't have to worry about this, so why why does does it matter? I don't need to hear any of it, and just kind of live my life as if I wasn't going to go on the deployment. But then, as it got closer to the deployment date, quite literally a month before we left, I was told, hey we rescinded your packet, you're going with us. And it really hit me, I was like, oh my God, 
I have to leave. I actually have to leave. And I had to scramble that month to essentially get everything done, which would have normally taken roughly the course of about a year. And that was very, very crappy, just the amount of stuff you had to do. There was all kinds of paperwork you had to fill out, a bunch of different trainings, all of which was online. But when you have to sit through over 12 hours of training, well, not while well, not necessarily like in one day yeah, over like the hours. Yeah. It's it gets boring. Yeah, but and even though I had that month to do it, it was still like, God, this this sucks. Like I was doing it all on my phone because I didn't have a laptop. Yeah, I still don't. And being unable to use something as great as a laptop to do video trainings and stuff was pretty bad. So, uh, and that hit me right. I was. I kind of had to break the news to my mom, and like most mothers do, she she cried. Yeah. She was very worried that you know something was going to happen, something would happen to me, something would happen to my guys. And you know, ultimately, I ended up coming home in one piece. But it's still like even though anything I told her didn't really shake the fact that. I was going to be gone. I was going to be in a whole other country. I would have little to no connection with my parents for roughly a year. And that really hurt her. And it kind of made me feel bad, too, because it was like, you know, I've only ever seen my mom cry in a couple other situations in life, yeah. one of which being her wedding. Yeah. But that's a happy moment. Yeah, yeah. That's like a happy kind of cry. But this kind was like, oh, oh wow, she's crying because she's, very worried for my safety you know at the time being 22 it was like well actually 21 I turned 22 when I was on deployment um I didn't really think too much of it as well because it was like you know what I mom like stop worrying stop worrying nothing's gonna happen to me yeah but as I got there right you know it was like you know, something actually could because we were Djibouti is right next to Somalia, which is, if some of you may know, is a very distraught country. There's a lot of stuff going on there, uh, like all kinds of stuff with like pirates. And while it sounds kind of funny, they're a very real thing out there. Somali pirates are quite very dangerous. If y'all have ever seen the movie, uh, God, I can't remember it. It was Captain Phillips. With Tom Hanks, like that stuff is very real, and it happens quite frequently out there. Um, but then getting there, first we left to Fort Hood, and so that's down in Texas. So I was able to keep in touch with a lot of my family, yeah. and it made it fairly easy. You know, I could call them every night, and you know they were happy to hear from me and everything. Um, it kind of sucked being in Fort Hood because during that time it was. Uh, with COVID-19, so we actually had to stay in a fenced-in area for about two weeks. Okay. Um, but then even after that time, we still had to stay within our area for the rest of that month. And not being able to simply just go out for a walk really sucks. Like, you start to feel like a caged animal. Like, you only you only have so much room you can go. Like, quite literally, there was maybe about the maybe about a 200 square foot area ish I, I don't exactly know that that you could actually do anything in and it sucked um 
getting on the plane though, it, w- it was kind of like a, a happy moment too. Cause I was like, you know what? I, damn, I'm actually going to Djibouti. I'm actually going on a deployment. But when I get there, I had to do the whole two week thing again, only I was stuck in a room. Uh, and those rooms, they're called clues. They're essentially a refitted shipping container that barely holds enough room for two people. But we were stacked in their sardines uh, with about four people. And we were expected to stay in there for a two-week period. Unfortunately, some of them were actually had a broken AC. So when you're in 100-degree weather yeah. with a broken AC in a room that you can't leave, you're sweating. So physically, I was drained every single day. And... It got to a point where they were starting to be concerned for us, but then it still kind of felt like they weren't at all at the same time. Like, it took our first sergeant to talk to somebody and be like, hey, our boys in there are quite literally suffering. If we don't get them out and into another room, they're probably going to end up having a heat exhaustion or heat stroke instance. And for those of you that may be in the service, you know that's something that is widely hated widely like feared because then it falls upon whoever was managing that it like the entire and the entirety of the responsibility falls upon them as to why that happened um so i eventually got moved into a different room uh that was only after about four or five days of being stuck in a sauna essentially and what we were given for water during those times was two bottles per meal oh wow two 16 ounce bottles of water now Typically, you only get about three meals a day, so what, what does that come out to be? About like 96 fluid ounces yeah. of water total that yeah. you're allowed to have. Most of the time, you'd have those two bottles gone within Minutes, an hour, yeah. if it even lasted yeah. that long. Yeah. So it quite literally hurt to be in there. Yeah. Now, when we finally got out of there, it felt like freedom. We could go around, we could explore the base but we still weren't allowed to leave the base because it was during the whole COVID-19 thing. And so that took a huge toll because we were told before we even left that there would be all these instances for like, oh, yeah, you can leave base. You can go on an excursion. There's all these kinds of things that you're allowed to do in the city. But because COVID-19 was a huge issue at the time, it forced us all to stay on the base and when you have a base of roughly i think it was like five thousand people at the time we ended up making it work but they had to implement a lot of rules to where you couldn't go out at certain times or you could only go to certain places at certain times and only if you were of like a certain letter of your last name mine was r so i ended up having to go for the second half of what was available at the next the next being what's called the navy exchange it's uh, just like a little store that you can get various stuff in, be it you know cleaning supplies, your uh, stuff to clean yourself, you can get food, drinks, just all kinds of various stuff. Um, but you're really limited. And in fact, you were limited to how many items you could get. So that sucked. But I mean, you know, a lot of us ended up making do with it. Um, in total, though, like that first little bit that I got there, it was it was kind of like a, oh, this is a new experience. This, this is cool. Yeah. But after a while, you know, it hits you because you're there for 10-ish months. 
um, after like that first month, you know, the, the wonder and the wow wears off. Yeah. And so you're stuck there and you're like, wow, you know, I got another nine months to do of this. What am I going to do with myself? You know, every day is waking up at like six, seven o'clock to be to work at a various time. You know, some people had to be up earlier. Some people had to be up a little later. It kind of depended on your job out there. Uh, for me, I had to be at work at, I think it was like eight o'clock every day. You know, that's not terrible. That's like a typical eight to four, like nine to five, only slightly earlier. But it still wasn't exactly fun because I had to walk about, I think it was like a mile and a half just to get to where I worked. Yeah. You know, uh, there was public transportation there, but a lot of the time you were lucky to get a seat on there just because they were always full from all the other people. Yeah. Because it ran a rotation around the base, but there was roughly, I want to say like 10 stops, and nine times out of 10, that bus would be full. So they'd have to just pass you on. Like they couldn't stop and fit more people in there, no no matter how hard you tried, even though we're usually used to getting crammed in like sardines. It was just the way that they were doing things out there. And so after a while, after that first month, it hit me and I was really like, wow, you know, I'm stuck here. What am I going to do with myself? Uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and so I was able to talk with her. I was able to, you know, talk with other people from back home. Uh, But you can only talk about so much while you're out there. Eventually you know, you get to the point where you're quite literally having the same conversation over and over again. Like, hey, what you been up to? What's going on today? How was your day? Those kind of things, right? And, you know, it's that way with everybody, be it girlfriend, mother, father, friends, because there's only so much that they can tell you that they did during the day, because a lot of people have jobs, a lot of people work during the day. So it's like the same thing for them every day. And there's a lot of stuff you can't talk about while you're there. Uh, you know, like you can't really give descriptions of the place you're at. Like, I mean, you can kind of tell them what your room looks like, but like they had huge restrictions on what you could take pictures of because there was a story of a dude who ended up actually accidentally getting a picture of the antenna area that we had. They call it the ant farm. Um, He had a little bit of that in a picture and they came down on him hard with like an iron fist. He he, for lack of a better term, he got he got his ass reamed. It it was kind of funny, but I mean, it was a very real thing out there. So you're limited on how much communication you can have, and that's only if you actually have communication because you had to pay for Wi-Fi out there. Like most places, you typically pay for Wi-Fi, but they had a whole huge monopoly on it. You know, a lot of people pay like 50 to 100 bucks out here for really good wi-fi over there you're paying 200 bucks a month for four megabytes per second and that was insanely slow comparative to what i pay here 50 bucks for a hundred yeah and while we get so used to that over there you're very much like damn, this, this sucks. What, what do I do with myself? Yeah, because yeah. eventually it gets to a point where you're like, you can't do anything because you had to have a roommate while you're out there. Yeah. Unless you're like a really high rank. And most of the time your roommate's typically on it as well. So that splits it. So if I ever tried to like call somebody, if I ever tried to FaceTime somebody, a lot of the time if I tried to message somebody, sometimes it wouldn't even go through. Yeah. And 
there was times where I'd have somebody send me a message and it wouldn't go through till like a day later, even though I was connected to Wi-Fi. It's just everything was so slow out there. So I still feel like I was very blessed to have that ability for communication because I know that there's people that went to like Iraq and Afghanistan that would maybe get a call or a letter once a month, maybe once every couple of months. Yeah, yeah. And so I was very blessed to have that opportunity. But going from the United States where that kind of stuff is just normal and every you know everybody takes what's what's the word um takes it for granted yeah you really don't quite understand how much you miss something like that until you can't talk to anybody for a month and it's not even necessarily because you didn't pay a bill or anything but their wi-fi went out so my question to you is in feeling like like not having much communication, you know, not being around a lot of people. Did you feel super alone while you were out there? Yeah. So even though you aren't actually alone and you have all these other kinds of people you can talk to, you can only talk with people so much before you know almost everything about them and you kind of run into that same situation where even though you're in person talking with these people and hanging out with them and doing whatnot it quite literally just turns into the same thing every day so you kind of get to this point where you're like I, I just why do I want to talk to this person again and now I had friends out there and we did all kinds of stuff together we had fun and it made me cherish some of those moments a lot more when we didn't do that kind of stuff um, it still sucked because while you know a lot of these people, me personally, I know quite a few of them uh, personally as well. Um, not being able to talk to the people that you very dearly trust and love, it sucks. I don't really know any other better way to put it. Yeah, I, yeah. And you start to feel like you there's not a whole lot of people you can lean on. And that kind of made me really understand as to why so many of the guys out there had I shouldn't say problems but they had just struggles struggles yeah, yeah that's struggles. a good term yeah uh, they had a lot of struggles out there like the, some of them never bought internet and so they could never talk to their family they always had to either go to like the coffee shop they had there or uh, bomb off of somebody else's Wi-Fi and so that would make them feel terrible. They, they felt alone. And, you know, some of these guys had stuff going on back home that they find out it happened a week later. And they're like, oh, my God, what do I do? Do I need to go see my family? Like, we had some people, their uh, parents, one of their parents had passed away. And so they found out like a day or two later. And they're like, wow, I, you know, I need to go home. I need to go see my family. I need to be there for them. And for some of them, they allowed it. Some of them, they did not. And that hurts. Yeah. Not being able to be there for somebody who is struggling will take a huge toll on you. It ended up taking a huge toll on me as, at the time, my girlfriend's mother ended up developing cirrhosis. So she wasn't sure if her mother would live or not. I, I think she's still alive. So I, 
I can't say too much on that, but I mean, like, you know, it's one of those things that like, you can't be there for them and they can't really be there for you. The only way that you would have to talk is through a phone. Yeah. You can't really convey the same sort of emotional message through a phone as you can, like talking to someone in person. And so my time out there, right, I, I felt quite isolated. You know, I feel like part of that was probably my fault because I stayed inside a lot. And I think part of that was because it was hot. Like going outside, the best way to put it is that you could go take a shower, you'd step outside, and you'd already be sweating again. Yeah, yeah. So going outside at any time that the sun was up, you would just feel miserable no matter what. And so I ended up spending a lot of my time just in my room. Because, I mean, it was cool in my room. There wasn't a bunch of heat. It didn't feel bad. I didn't have to deal with the wind, didn't have to deal with the dust, didn't have to deal with the humidity. And so a lot of the time, the only person I ever really saw was the people I worked with and my roommate. Now, I loved my roommate. He was super cool. He's still in my unit, and, you know, he's a great friend of mine. But, you know, again, it gets to that point where you've talked to the same person so many times and having the same conversations, it, you're just like, I, I can't talk to you anymore. And it's not that you don't want to talk to them. It's that you don't know what to even talk about anymore. I guess my question to you is, um, you work in mental health, right? Yeah, I'm and, a behavioral health technician yeah, is and, the and logistical terms, term. So obviously you've seen a lot of people out there struggling, yep. going through a tough time. You know, what What would be your biggest advice to give, you know, to, to soldiers who are out there or maybe them, like soldiers who have been there coming back, you know, obviously... PTSD, being alone, those kind of things, said in afterwards. What would be your advice to soldiers who maybe are listening or are in that space to, you know, like help them through? Like, because obviously the dark times are going to come when you're out there. What what kind of advice would you give to those people being in the behavioral health scene and, and what you've seen so far? So the best piece of advice I could give is even even though a lot of people don't want to talk about what's going on with them, because it, it makes you feel vulnerable. You, you're in, you have to put yourself in a very vulnerable position to be able to talk about something. Even if it's from the most minor thing to serious life struggles, you have to put yourself in a vulnerable position. Is, we want you to talk to us. You know, we're not here to judge you. We're not here to screw you over or to get you out or to do anything to you. We're here to be a shoulder to lean on. And, you know, we want you to come talk to us. We can't do our job. We can't take care of our guys unless you come and talk to us. Now, I did outreach myself. I went out to the various people in my unit and talked to them. Not necessarily in like a tell me what's going on sort of sense, but like just a just a making myself known, making a presence, letting them know, hey, you know, I'm here for you guys. I'm here to talk. It, you know what? You don't even necessarily have to get me when I'm in my office. You can come talk to me when I'm in my room. I had a couple of people come do that, and you know they really appreciated it because when you come into that office, while it is very official, there's other people in that office that are part of the behavioral health uh, workspace, and so they walk in there. You know, immediately you're greeted with three people sitting at desks, and some of them would walk in and just turn right around. 
you know, while we can't stop them, we can't make them come talk to us, we just want you to. We want you to come talk to us. We want you to express yourself because we tried to make our, our setting as private as we possibly could. Um, and when you do talk to us, it gives us uh, almost like a heads up of like, hey, you know, this is going on with this person. How can we better help them? What can we do that will allow them to get into a better place? What, what can we do that will essentially make them feel better? And, you know, we're not out here necessarily trying to make everybody feel like sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, we just yeah. want to make sure that you're okay. And we I don't want you to take a drastic action because while firearms weren't just openly available on the base, if you had to leave for whatever reason, like I did, I had to go to one of the nearby bases to talk to some of the guys out there, you were given a gun or a firearm and you were given ammo. And the amount of times that it would be so easy to just load up a magazine and take your own life would be too many. Like there's there's so many times you could have. Now I feel like they wouldn't necessarily allow somebody to take ammo and withdraw a weapon from the armory if you don't talk about it and you don't allow it to essentially be known that you have something going on they'll act like everything's good even though some of them may know something wrong is going on some of them will some of the higher ups will prefer to turn a blind eye to it i think and i think in terms of you know, just talking about things. It's not always about making things better in terms... And it is, you know, like talking to people, like, it helps you make things better. But I feel like it also just takes a weight off your shoulders. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if there's something you want to talk about with us, you know, like I said, we're not here to judge you. We're here to listen. Uh, anything you want to talk about. You know, even if it's like... I stubbed my toe the other day, and it's just really making me mad. You can come talk to something like that with us. Um, and so even just getting something off of your shoulders like that naturally does kind of make you feel better, but it's more importantly about that you're talking to somebody. Yeah. And it can always start with just a little tiny conversation of I stubbed my toe to they're opening up to you. Yeah. And I think, um, I think one of the things about like, you know, like talking to people, therapy, all that kind of thing is that like, it has a negative connotation, horribly negative. Yeah. Connotation. Where it's seen as you can only talk when things are at its worst, when you're at, you know what I mean? If you're in, like, people see therapy as a, like, I don't want to go to therapy cause like, um, you know, like I'm not doing bad or like whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I like to see therapy in terms of like having a coach or like you know what I'm saying if you play a sport having a mentor yeah having a mentor or like if you play a sport you have a coach you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying you you have a coach because even if you're good at a sport you can get better yes so like talking to people in behavioral health therapists you know just like people that know stuff you're not necessarily in a terrible space but it allows you to get better mm -hmm. and I don't think that's what people realize is that you don't have to be doing terrible to come talk to or, us. Yeah, or on your last limb, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you feel like you're going to take your own life to, to do that stuff. You can be a perfectly healthy, happy person. 
to do that and still have talk about things that are because no one's perfect. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And and I feel like talking to people when you're stuck in your brain, um, especially like when you're alone for a long time, you kind of get stuck in the mindset of like negativity, even if you don't mean to. Um, I feel like you know you just go through so much and you're only talking to yourself. All you start to hear is kind of negative, and I feel like talking to people can often ground you and give you another perspective, and allow you to see that you know that it's not as negative as you as you were thinking it was. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad told me something. I, I I was fortunate enough to be able to text him and be like, "Hey, you know, it, this sucks out here. It is hot. It is horrible. Everyone hates it." He texted me something. He says, "Well." Misery loves company. And the more and more you just get to thinking of like how terrible it is, how hot it is, how much you hate being here, the more and more negative thoughts keep going through your head. The more stuff you start thinking of like, oh God, this sucks. What am I going to do? What am I going to do tomorrow? Should I even like go to work tomorrow? Some people did that. You know, some people were just like, I'm not even going to go to work tomorrow. And you know, it did ended up reflecting on them. But it, it kind of started to create like a bit of a pattern that we would notice like people that started like not showing up to work, people that started not coming out to things. You know, we were able to pick up on it that something was going on and we were very fortunate to be able to be there for them. But some of them let it go to quite a dark place. Uh, there was a number of people who were suicidal and there were some situations out there that were very, very unfortunate and very bad that it happened to them. Uh, I won't necessarily get into specifics, but I'm sure you could probably guess because uh, there was alcohol involved. Yeah. You know, like, typically people need something to, someone to talk to, and some of those people, if they wouldn't come talk to us, it, it ended up leading to actually one soldier taking their life out there. Uh, I don't entirely remember how, but... It was kind of like a a shock for the people on base because something like that hadn't happened for a long time. Um, but it took up to that point where the higher-ups, the leaders were like, wow, we need to actually do something about this. And it's actually part of like a stigmatism in the army, or uh, not stigmatism, a stigma in the army, right, is seeing mental health. Um, I know my mentor, uh, she still is my mentor, who was out there, she was telling me about a situation, I think, probably about three, four years ago, maybe more, maybe less, um, where she was giving a presentation and they were talking about mental health. And their sergeant major, the sergeant major is a fairly high position. It's pretty big yeah. if you're in the Army. Yeah. Their sergeant major had essentially told them that if you feel suicidal, just go and do it. We don't want you in the Army anymore if you're weak like that. And that was, like, horrible for her. As someone who is in the mental health field, hearing something like that is terrible. Yes, because you're essentially enabling them, giving them the okay that this is something I should do. And I don't know if it ended up leading to a soldier's death or not, but if you would have said something like that out there, I guarantee you somebody would have done it. And it might not necessarily would have been with a firearm, might necessarily been with alcohol you know we didn't necessarily have regular uh restrictions and regulations on what we could have 
somebody could have hung themselves very easily. You know, we our clues were three stories up, some of them. How easy it would be for somebody to Just tie a rope around there and jump off. Yeah, like it was. It would be ridiculously easy. Um, and while it was kind of joked about out there, uh, I know by my roommate he joked about it a lot. There were times where he would tell me that, and like, I would be kind of concerned. Yeah. As to like, yeah. is 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 he actually serious? Is he is he gonna do it? Because he has all the capabilities to do it. Yeah. And if he wanted to, he totally could yeah. while I'm asleep, and I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know until the next morning, even possibly. Um, it, it, like it would already be done. There wouldn't be a whole lot to do about it. Yeah. Somebody else could try and get him down from the floor below, but you know, at nighttime, usually there's not a whole lot of people out. There's not a whole lot of people watching. It'd be very easy for someone to do something like that. So I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, my question for you, last question is. What keeps you going right now, personally? What Me? keeps you going? Um, as, as you continue to live, you know what keeps you going every day. So, I like to think of myself as fairly resilient. Um, we actually have this thing called resiliency training in the Army. Some of you may know it. A lot of people hate it. A lot of it's just because it's the same thing over and over again. But for me, I like to think I'm very resilient. Um, I can get through stuff fairly easily but you know I do have my times where you know I have to have someone to talk to and I was very fortunate to have my mentor with me um, and she was actually someone that I talked to a lot about stuff that was going on but now a lot of it comes down to that I have a cat and like that's a big one even yeah, though as ridiculous it as is, it man. sounds it is. it's not ridiculous I man. get to come home and I get to see my little ray of sunshine every day who loves me so much that I could never part with him. And when I did have to part with him for my deployment, I felt terrible because I had been taking care of him. I took him off the street, and, you know, he absolutely loved me. When he saw me again, he kind of didn't remember me, but he warmed up to me again so quickly that it's like I had never left. And, you know, that being just one thing, but on top of that, too, I have siblings. I've got two little brothers and a sister. Um, they look up to me more than anything. I couldn't tell you the amount of times that I've seen that little twinkle in my little brother's eye. Like, wow, that's my big brother. I love him. I love the stuff that he do, that he does. And, you know, they actually were telling their friends that I got a big brother who's in the army. I got a big brother who went on a deployment. And that kind of stuff, when you hear it, you're like, wow. I got these little guys who look up to me. Yeah. And, you know, even though it's like a huge age gap, right? Like, they're 10 and 11, my little brothers are. They pretty much see me as like their hero. Uh, one of them's actually told me that they want to join the army when they grow up. And that almost brought a tear to my eye. So, I don't want to let them down. I don't want to end up having my little brothers go to my funeral for anything. I don't want to have them go into a dark place. Now, it may end up happening at some point. I don't know. They have a long life ahead of them, I hope. But I know that I want to be there for them because I've been in dark places myself, and if something like that were to happen to them, I want them to know that like they can come talk to me. 
they can come see me. You know, some of them, they even just come over now. Like, I live just a couple blocks away from them. And, you know, my little brother being like, hey, Quentin, can I come over today? Yeah. yeah. It just, it almost brings a tear to your eye because you're like, wow, this little guy loves me so yeah, much. Yeah. He can't wait to see me the next time. I was hanging out with my parents yesterday, and my little brother asked me, do you work Sunday? Because I want to come over and hang yeah, out. And I was yeah. like, damn. Yeah. I remember my little sister, um, when I went and visited the rapid, she goes, I wish you'd never leave. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I'll move back right now. But, all right, I appreciate Quentin being here today. Um, as always, this is my reminder that whatever you are going through, you are not alone. Please reach out friends, family, therapist. My DMs are always open. I'll add some of Quentin's information into the bio so you guys can hit him up if you want to but as always have a good week